if you could read all of my thoughts, I think you'd find you'd much rather not. You wouldn't believe all that I got, considering everything I already forgot. I've got ways to save the world, mixed with things to say to girls. I got the wrong words to stupid songs, stuck in loops that go on and on. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can't think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back? To my senses I've got cops And robbers i got thoughts A monster Hello neighbor And welcome to Folk U Radio Here on CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio And on the web at CortezRadio.ca you are listening to a special live outside under the Sita tent edition of Folk U Radio. Folk U is where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? It is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and our beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Today's special show allows us to welcome back the Awakeneers and the creators of the Creative Culture Guide. And we're going to share music, inspiration, and the story of their newest work of creation today. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, the water, and the air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klahus, the Klaman, and the Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who've walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. All right. So it's a, as you may be able to tell, we are actually having the live rendition of Think. I pretend to meditate twice a day Asking my thoughts nicely to please go away But my little brain's almost always got Something lame it's just got to say All this delirious mind chatter It runs like fear without a bladder If I had a garbage compactor I could throw the garbage in and live happily ever after all the stupid things I can't think of to think about Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to my senses? Don't get me wrong, I am thankful I can think But I'd be thankful to be also fun thing about having a live studio audience is we can uh, show our appreciation. Uh, all right. And then, wait, are we, are, is everyone mic'd? No. Okay. Okay. 
So <laughs> lots of things will go wrong when you have uh, live shows. Thank you so much for being here, uh, for traveling all over the here to get here uh, and from wherever you're listening from. I want to start by, with introductions because we're doing a strange hybrid show today. And I think also it's an opportunity to reveal the strange hybrid complex natures of each of us, uh, especially those of you who are before us. Uh, I know that's, it's rich coming from me. Um, so here we are. The Awakeneers, which many of you, many people know also from your past as the Mary McKinties on this island. And, and they know you in this musical sense, but you're also here today in this other sense, which is as the Knowers Arc Education Foundation and your long history as publishers. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how these two are coming together Together and why this particular form of show today? Uh -huh. Well, we uh, have a long history of educational publishing, as you said, and we've all grown up with a visceral experience of life. Uh, starting off, I spent two months of every summer from before I was born almost uh, with my bare feet on the ground in northern Ontario and many of these people have had a similar experience. And so for us, drinking the water from the creeks and carrying wood and water and building your house and growing your own food and all those kinds of things that are now called sustainability was kind of a visceral experience. And along with that, we also at various times learned a certain kind of uh, humility or respect for life. And that brought us to different kinds of choices to be even owning organic food and to approach sustainability and what we could do with our individual experience. And also we're publishing various things along the way because we were homeschooling at the same time. And so one thing led to another. And uh, this most recent project was um, initiated several years ago where it's a three-part idea. One was we'd done a lot of educational publishing and it ended up with a piece that was done in 2004 I believe, if I remember rightly, five, 2005, called Earth, the State of the Planet, in over 100 charts and that kind of stuff. And I think we did a presentation at Manson's Hall and over in Courtney and various things. Uh, and that was a real accumulation of things that have been going on over a number of years, 30 years, 35 years for us. And then uh, we decided we'd do an update of that in 2020. And since then, all, there was also all this music that had been developing. And also, we'd had a series of projects that were centered around who were the, what can a village do? Or who are the good folk that can inform how to do it best? And how can somebody who's working at a community level access information that will inform their choices and speed up their learning process? And so we thought of a three-part program that was the overview updated on the state of the planet and how serious it was and what could be done about it, what were the opportunities at a community level. And then the music that had been accumulating over the last 15 or 20 years of people's journaling experience of being in direct 
contact and interactive with nature and life in lots of ways and what that music helps reconcile between the way things are and the way they, they could be and what we can do about it. So it's uh, that three-part project seemed that was necessary to put those two together because the <clears throat> suffering that people experience who have a close connection with life is really profound. Yeah. All and right. And there is things that can be done about it. Yeah, or we can at least sing about it. <laughs> yeah. So, and we wanted to <clears throat> make sure that that the optimistic side of it was represented as well as the uh, thoughtful side of it, the experiential side of it, especially in the last few years because there's a lot of the challenges just seems to be getting greater as it goes along. And so we'd like to bring it together in a, in a kind of a recipe that comes out healing with the opportunities that we can see that can be acted on. And the Creative Culture Guide was an effort that Francis in particular put five years into, and Eminem, Mel, Melanie over here, uh, was redoing all the charts of the bad news uh, for about a year, which is a really, that's a grind. Every day you're looking at how serious it is on the environment and that the sixth great extinction is actually happening and if you look into the details that you have to take your time every day with how you reconcile that and the music for us helps and so we wanted to pass it along i i heard a tomb O'Kane once describe that work of taking moments to experience sort of the otherworldly in this world as glorification. And I think that's a really beautiful way to think about um, to about music. And maybe it's both glorification and then also digestion, right? Is like, how are we processing this through our lived experience? Uh, so I love that you've taken this kind of state of the world idea and made it threefold. Um, at, and included this aspect of how we're going to embody it. But now I'm going to take you back to the most practical, which is, okay, the creative culture guide. What is it on the most basic level? Um, and I've gotten to play a little bit on, on that basic level on the website, and it's quite beautiful. So can you explain uh, where you go and what you see when you get there on that visual level. Well, can I pass this one over to Francis? Because uh, I think he can probably oh. articulate his way through it. Wait, and we, wait we forgot to do something Sorry. really basic. Uh, introduce people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's the, the first thing that an interviewer is supposed to do. So I'm Mando Fox Gillespie, your host. <laughs> I even forgot that part. Uh, and just speaking was... Robert. My name's Robert. That'll do Robert Francis or Robert McKenty. And then next, we're about to hear from Francis. And we. McKenty. Robert McKenty's one of his many offspring. <laughs> I was going to say partners in crime, but. <laughs> and, or in creativity. Can, can we do an intro to, the, to everybody else now, too? Sure. I'm Erica. I'm Rose. Isa. <laughs> and this is Emmanuel and the drum kit. And I'm Melanie. Okay, Melanie, we're going to have you come closer to a mic before. <laughs> okay. okay. Come over here. 
and that faint voice in the background <laughs> do, looking at depressing maps and doing research. I'm Melanie, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, it might be even more than that. Okay, so I am sorry uh, about those lack of introductions. And then we have a beautiful studio audience who you'll also hear uh, gasping or clapping or, or other things in the background. Uh, Francis, back over to you, and you're going to give us a, uh, a visceral experience right now, of, or maybe a not-so-visceral, but an explanation of the visuals, at least, of the Creative Culture Guide. Okay. Well, the Creative Culture Guide, which you can find right now on your phone or laptop or whatever kind of internet thing you happen to possess, is available at www.creativecultureguide.org. And it, at first it looks like a sort of animated mandala about sustainability and the standards of how that can be accomplished on the ground and all the various sectors that need to be paid attention to in order to live a sustainable life on the earth, including food and water and governance and 12 other things. Um, <laughs> but, if you go deeper, you'll see that those sectors, as well as kind of a basic um, how-to, which is actually uh, a sort of curated wiki that's, that's created by members, and you can register for an account and add your part to this. But, but as well as that, there's a directory of, of on-the-ground resources for actually following through with those aims and standards that includes everything we could think of that you would need to live in a system that wasn't based on chemical agriculture and wasn't based on fossil fuel energy and wasn't based on debt financing and wasn't based on XYZ. And not necessarily talking about how to, we're staying away from talking about confronting the system or disrupting the status quo, but just how can you live in a way that's actually not harmful? And what do you need to know? And what, who do you need to know? And what tools do you need? And where can you find them in your, on your island or in your community? So it's all on a map that is oriented around wherever somebody is visiting the site from and people can submit their the resources in their area and find the resources that are useful for Cortez or wherever you happen to be coming from. I will say that my first experience, my first dive into the Creative Culture Guide uh, what I came away with was it's like the perfect example of why the internet works when it works so well um, because it felt like going into a really brilliant group brain experience right so it's like this per like you know as if I was having a conversation uh, with Francis who I've had conversations and we know a little bit about Francis's mind because he's the creator of the song think uh, which <laughs> you'd like it to listen to every week when you're listening to folk you 
and you know and so it's like if you took a whole bunch of people that you already know that you resonate with and you had their group mind and you could go down deep into all these different questions and then get more information and more information on all these different questions no matter where you were in the world so uh, so I love the overlay of the kind of wiki group knowledge aspect that allows you to go down deep, you know, kind of not just where you are, but then also this layering of, uh, of information, you know, through this sort of enlightened and sustainability lens. So I felt like it was the perfect mandala does help us get to that same kind of idea of how we would describe such a thing pre you know, pre-internet, pre-layered um, brain. So I loved that. Thank you. Glad to hear that. I, maybe we should, Would how would we feel about having a visceral music experience of the Creative Culture Guide? Is it too soon? We're good? I don't think it's too soon. It's never too soon. Yeah. <laughs> never too <Yeah>. soon. <laughs> we just have to figure out which of the many sectors would be good to have something <laughs> to say about. Um, <clears throat> So this song's called Tatalate to Trail. <clears throat> and so it kind of draws a basket around British Columbia as a place to live. And it's all places that we've had some exposure to or have lived in. And the, the chorus line is how much this country gives to us, which is really amazing. This is a very generous place. It's not like the prairies and it's not like Arizona and it's not like uh, there's a lot of mountains here but there's a lot of valleys there's a lot of water there's a lot of fish there's a lot of everything it's an incredibly generous place and one of the richest natural environments and so that's celebrated in the song it was written by Emmanuel
the lake to trail salmon and whales in the sea. From the old growth forest trails and the mountains holy grail of Basie. The wolf and the elk and the snow caps that melt in the spring. The swans and the snow geese and the rugged beaches where the surf That was lovely. Thank you. So I, uh, I hinted at this before when we were talking about the kind of perfect mandala that exists because we have the the internet. But you have actually been publishing now. Uh, like information and, and useful, um, you know, th like aspects of mapping and um, and things used for homeschooling and other educational materials for for what like thirty years. Thirty five years. Thirty five years. So the Noah's Ark Education Foundation. It was originally under different titles, the same people, but Noah's Ark Foundation for thirty years. Um. So, what does deep, meaningful, visceral, experiential publishing look like before the internet? How, do you, uh, how, one, did we do research back then? Because believe it or not, we did. And then two, how did you kind of encapsulate the sort of complexity that is the Creative Culture Guide now in those year, in those olden days before there was the internet, we have a very large library of physical objects. Uh, <laughs> we had to go out and talk to people in person, and uh, then fax machines happened. <laughs> and uh, what's a fax machine? <laughs> <laughs> and we had. We'd make phone calls, and we'd talk to people on the phone, and then we'd go to libraries, or we'd go to government offices, and they would give us reports, and we'd read through it and try to distill them, um, and we worked as a team. And so uh, we put it together. It, it was a lot of work, and a lot of it was face-to-face -face work, and someone, usually me, had to go and find out who was the knowledge person on that. And uh, that led me to a lot of strange and interesting places that was very informative. And then we tried to distill it from that, given what they pointed us to. And 
some of the things that I know about your previous publishing, um, you did a lot of kind of poster type, like visual uh, and text heavy um, pieces that already were leaning towards this multidimensionality. And then in talking to you, it sounds like often you also would do a kind of symposium or a um, you know workshop or in-person part. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you can can give us a little bit more, like give us some specific examples of a couple of those previous projects, what they, what it looked like in the creation of them, and how you how you went to that level of complexity um, when you were doing them. And you want to try that one, Melanie, or? The office in the sun. Is. <laughs> well, what, what the first one that comes to mind is the is the uh, the one we did on the Giza Plateau, which is where the pyramids are, and there had never been a single map that showed everything that had been discovered on the plateau because it was licensed to different, you know, Boston and Paris and you know this and that. So it was a lot of time in dusty reference libraries, photocopying things. It was taping together multiple pages of facts that were coming from Boston, um, you know, eventually piecing it together into a drawing that was done with pen and ink. Do you remember that? Pen and ink? Yeah. And then Robert did several trips to Egypt, and he could probably share a little more about those tales, and came back with some incredible experiences and a lot of video and, and photographs that we incorporated into the piece also. And then there was people that uh, were part of the team that struck out with a finished product and ended up going all over the place. They went to, uh, Megan went to London uh, and things ended up in the Louvre. She went to Egypt and slept it around in Egypt. Uh, we did tours down the East Coast and out to Seattle. So we went from Boston through New York down to Virginia Beach to try to spread it afterwards and then had a, a website by that time that was 96 98 maybe the website happened so it was a lot of very interesting things meeting interesting people along the way attending conferences uh digging around in museums talking to people reading books and does that particular uh, uh poster um is like still exist and where can people find it and where and where is it still being used it's online the, all the details of it are online. Uh, the poster sold out a while back. It's still the most frequented website we have. It was the first one that we did online. Uh, and the reason that we got into it was because uh, we sort of pulled at the thread of yarn and discovered that what we heard of Western Renaissance and history um, actually wasn't accurate, just to put it mildly. Uh, there are things that we found and took photographs of and handled and that were in the original explorations by Sir Flanders Petrie and other people in Egypt that indicate that we're not the first technological civilization at all on this planet. And anybody that's done any carpentry or stonework who can look at the pictures or go over there uh, knows that themselves. They don't need somebody else to tell them. There's tube drilling in granite from that time period where it couldn't be done with copper tools 
and the engineers that had discovered that who were doing $500 million construction projects in the Middle East who were fully qualified and looked at the scale of the administrative architecture or, or that would go along with that and it's uh, unimaginable even by current standards. So, and so I, I went to Egypt and there was a 27 foot long stone that was seven feet high that weighed umpteen tons that was fit together in such a way that you couldn't put a playing card between it. So th these are all things that were very confrontive to my sensibilities having raised on the education that I had and then we started digging around and finding out, well, how could that be? And uh, there's, that was a large part of it. And what's that website? If we want to go and explore it ourselves? Uh, well, currently it's on... Uh, the globaleducationproject.org. Yeah. Globaleducationproject.org. The globaleducationproject.org. And that is your Egypt? Uh, that includes several projects. The Egypt site as well as the Earth update that we were talking about earlier. And a couple uh, other sections. As well as uh, Middle East. Oh, yeah. And the climate change effect on animals. Another project that was... A, a, a multitude. Do you... Should, should we um, have a musical moment to celebrate sure. that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. How can we... <laughs> it's not going to be the last the last poster we're going to talk about either, or the last uh, previous you know what happened before the internet um, moment. Let's do. Uh, I mean, it's there's nothing in particular that lands on Egypt when I think about the question. Um, we've got a very jumpy uh, piece about in Swahili about Mama Earth, and we've got another mellow piece about every place has a face um, and we've traveled a lot and where's home so I'm not sure uh, the how about you got a suggestion I was going to say the jumpy Swahili piece right. <laughs> just because I'm jumpy but not Swahili it's, it's half English so you can translate it <laughs> however I want several songs that people have written that are uh, about planet Earth, because it's obvious we live on it. <laughs> and uh, one's so called awesome. Glorious Earth, there's this one in Swahili, there's one called Great Mountain Beauty, there's another one called Mama Earth. Uh, and I'll, I'll just introduce these recently uh, launched horn section. <laughs> This would be the first time we tried this in public. Usually we do it in the basement. And no pressure. <laughs> and this, the words for this was, were written by Elizabeth, who's the mother of a lot of these folks. Quite often she'll write words for something and then hand it off to one of her sons to do the music for it, and then there's this collaborative effect that comes out of it. She's the one that knows Swahili. <laughs> At least better than we do.
Okay, so one of the other projects that uh, I have known about before that I think is really pretty spectacular, and I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit more about how it came about and what it is, is this uh, Native Lands Then and Now of BC map. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this? And people are going to be really interested in it after you tell them, so I also want you to tell them where they can find it. Okay, the map is currently online, and I believe it's readable as a PDF, so you can kind of zoom in on it. Um, we had just done an environmental map of southern BC, and part of what we did with the revenue from that was um, there was an acquaintance, a good friend of mine actually, who uh, was in the Native American church and also knew a man by the name of John Kimmy who was one of the seven young men who were given the Hopi prophecy to deliver around the world. His name was John Kimmy. And they agreed to come with us on a tour of uh, southern BC, starting in Nelson. And we were on Cortez at one point and did the prophecy here. Uh, and then that tour led to us being exposed to a lot of uh, the ways um, that were still active at the time because everywhere we went, the indigenous people from the area would, some of them would show up and then we were interactive with them and that became, that launched forth into quite a number of things, going to Medicine Wheels and working with those folks. And, but also when Oka started shortly afterwards, uh, it got our attention. We were in the business of educational publishing we weren't in the business really but we were homeschooling and it became a question that we thought would be worth addressing and it was quite a confused circumstance at that point uh, so we dove into it and then six months later had a, this project that was published which was the first as far as we knew collated map of the territories that each of the tribes were occupying the peoples of the First Nations in the BC area. And that we derived and there was back and forth with the indigenous leaders at the time. There's interviews that are transcribed on the back of that poster with the head of First Nations and the head of the Métis organization and interviews with a fellow who was part of the 60s scoop where he was taken out of his house in the middle of the night by the RCMP when he was a child and didn't see his mom again until he was 17. Um, so the, there's a lot in that, on the back of that poster, about 100 pages of it. Uh, and so then that was 
about 15% of most of the publications that we do are charitable donations. And so a copy of that map went to all of the high schools in Vancouver and went to all the band offices in the, in the province. Uh, and actually the First Nations folks, some of them uh, supported the publishing of that project. And uh, so, and it's become part of our experience uh, along the way. And it was a very, it was a complicated piece to do justice to and uh, to be fair about it. And, and there was, yeah, so anyway, it's there. I imagine uh, the research of something like that is pretty, pretty intense. I mean, figuring out things that um, often haven't been written down that the government is still in dispute around, and uh, you know, and, and like beginning to map that out. That must have not been in any way an easy process. And talking about it, you know, now it's like that's a few sentences for what must have been. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of of relationship building and uh, and creating, yeah, trying to find the way of what do you write down around uh, long, long histories and lots of relationship building time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of uh, interactions, and I still occasionally communicate with one of the fellows uh, that helped us with that. His name was uh, Banjo Tabasca. He's part of the one of the family lines in the interior tribes. I see Melody sitting forward. <coughs> we actually faxed a cover letter to every band office in the province explain, before we started anything and explained the project to them, sort of asked you know, if they had any issues with it and requested if they chose to, to send us any especially maps that they had of both the traditional territories and the current land claims, if they had any, and we heard from every single one of them. Wow. So, so cool. Um, I, I, I think, you know, when you see that kind of level of curiosity and engagement and involvement, I think this is like a wonderful and, and quite inspiring. And you alluded a little bit to how you got into this education, educational publishing journey, but can you tell us a little bit more about, about that story and how it relates or why it relates in your mind to homeschooling? I met John Holt in 1967 or 1968. I don't know if you've heard his name. He uh, wrote a book that became quite notable at the time called How Children Fail. He'd previously been named the Teacher of the Year in the territory that he was working. And uh, he had observed something similar to what John Gatto ended up observing years and years later, which is the system didn't work, and it wasn't the children's fault, necessarily. And so he kind of stepped out and started writing about it and trying to remediate it. And at the time, I was interested in alternative education. There was a half dozen other authors from the time, and that kind of got me launched. And then at various points, when my children were born, it was moved forward by studying home birth, and then it was moved forward by studying home education and just doing the best we could with it, and it wasn't something that we could give up after we'd started it, and uh, and just kept on growing because we kept having children. 
and <laughs> and they kept getting older and we had to keep staying ahead of the curve and there weren't the materials uh, that were designed for that so we had to make it up and so we designed desks because children needed a space that they could work in that was sovereign and then uh, tried to, well, what do you put on the desk and how do you organize it so and then we designed uh, we had a thing called a maker box which had all the good stuff and it wasn't Crayola crayons we'd go to the art store and they'd they'd pick out things that actually really worked for doing artwork and uh, tried to give a context that honored what their creativity was and uh, there wasn't any judgment on it and uh, just it kept on growing and growing and more people got involved and uh, then it seemed that an educational publishing endeavor was actually a way of dovetailing what we were doing anyway to try to find the resources uh, and being distributing it to other homeschoolers who were struggling with the same questions. And just went on from there. And tell us a little bit about uh, what your guidelines were. Like what kinds of things were you seeking to uh, for your own education? And then what kinds of things were you publishing and putting out into the world? Well, one of the main principles that we work with in relation to our children uh, was the golden rule which is that if I was a child, given what I know as an adult, what would I wish that would be presented to me in a way that I could deal with at the time? And so we, we tried to provide diversity in exposure, so there was instruments, and music, and art, and field trips, and all of the things that people try to do when they're, if they were going to do the best they could, how would they go about it? Uh, there was other things. We ended up writing up what the inventory of things were. That was, yeah, we did a few little handbooks. Noah's Ark workbook, which is sort of a, and, hmm? yeah. There's different territories that we crossed. One was the, how do you how do you work with an infant? Uh, I ended up carrying my children around in the middle of the night because they didn't want to nap. And what I discovered when I was carrying them is they would actually steer what I was going and what they wanted to see. And then I discovered that if I followed with that, then they'd get access to everything they could see. And then I had to figure out, well, now what? Because they were getting into the crockery and the flowers and everything else. And I had to figure out, well, then the simple thing is don't have anything that they can see that they can't have. And we just went with that and sort of tidied up our house in a, in a non-adult authority kind of a way. And then we didn't, coercion didn't seem to be a fair thing to do. And so how do you negotiate and cooperate with children? How do you help steer them away from being aggressive or having to put them in their room or exert some kind of physical authority over it? And just persisted with it, and it, it was complicated. Um, but it got better as we got better at it as adults. And then we tried to pass it along to people who were inquiring and interested. And one thing led to another. I love the uh, inspiration that comes from f like the idea of, okay, how do you follow your curiosity and create curiosity or foster curiosity in others? And, and then how do you foster the resilience um, and 
in order for people to be able to follow their curiosity uh, you know all the way through to its end and it seems like a lot of your of your publishing uh, work is really about that is okay if you want to be able to examine the world around you and know more then uh, here are the tools um, that you need whether informational or a better desk uh, so it, it, it feels really organic. Do you have any other examples of that organic process unfolding in your own experience? Well, it just occurred to me because I'm looking over here and, and this woman over here whose name is Kathy, uh, we were acquainted with and she was participant in these uh, cooperative and training environments 30 years ago. And her daughter, Kashani, was born into that endeavor and they turned up as visitors uh, not too long ago and they've been kind of staying in touch since then. So there's this network of people who were uh, participant or engaged in some fashion or another and this woman over here is, her name's Aiva and she's another one of the participants in the up close version of it. So, And the 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 board of directors of the Noah's Ark Educational Foundation was that lady over there whose name is Megan and this lady over here whose name is Claire and this woman here who is Melanie and Elizabeth and myself and we just sort of, okay, well let's do this because uh, we're doing it anyway so why don't we call it a foundation get incorporated and see what we can do in the way of publishing as a, a way of meshing it so it feels like this is the perfect time for some more inspiring music. <laughs> but I could be wrong. <laughs> Sounds good to me. What are you going to inspire us with? So this song It's called We're All Little Children. And one of the things that, uh, if you work with little children or you work with infants, um, when I was growing up, the, the sort of pediatric point of view was they barely felt, fain, barely felt pain and they weren't really smart. But in fact, they now know that children in utero are learning and communicating. And so the, the environment that I, uh, moved into was where the the essence or soul or being nature of the newborn was actually precious and deserved a certain kind of honoring and that really changed everything afterwards because you couldn't go back on it. It's okay to be young. 
What's this one called? This one's called Pretty Little Bird. It's uh, kind of a pop fly. And uh, it's got a key line in it, which is, uh, don't need to get locked down in your mind. Amanda, I wrote it when we were living in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That was a very productive time period for music and other things.
I've been a lot of places in this big wide world And there's lots of places still that I'd like to see But every time I wander I see struggle and beauty And it brings me back to what's around me I'm free Like a pretty little bird that chirps and sings I'm free Like a pretty little bird that chirps and sings I'm free Wherever you go it's like there you are No matter what direction and no matter how far The way that I am has this wacky habit of following along Even when I don't invite it to I'm free Like a pretty little bird that chirps and sings I'm free Playing the one? Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, I want to. I was just looking around. <laughs> I'm not and, playing. And, uh, I mean, there's Tree, and there's David, and there's Bruce, and there's Deborah, and there's Megan, and there's Maria, and these are all people. And there's Josh, and there's you, Amanda. And I'm a person too. <laughs> and we've been on Cortez for 30 years. We don't have roots yet, but uh, 20 years, sorry. And everybody in this room we've had interactions with that has been pretty precious. And that's part of what the Creative Culture Guide is about, is the face-to-face, multi-generational, who is in your neighborhood and how do you, you know. Like we ended up getting to come to Cortez. This is a short story. We booked in for Tealcroft. We were trying to finish the Mideast poster. And we were supposed to show up in October or something. And we, we couldn't leave where we were. We were working on a generator up in the Kootenays in the mountains uh, on laptops and an internet cord that was about 1,500 feet long with a dozen different joints in it, uh, trying to get this piece out of the door. So we showed up uh, in like April or something. There was two weeks left on the Tealcroft rental. Uh, and we hadn't sent any money. And 
David backed us up and said, okay, you know, don't worry about it. And we got there and we paid and we stayed for the two weeks and went home and then came back the next year and then got the publishing out the door. And he made it possible, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to land here. And, you know, and ever since then, whenever, you know, he's always had this honorable relation between us and it's been really a treasure. And we first met Josh when we were playing music in his cabin, uh, his house, uh, and you know the list goes on and on. All the interactions and uh, Tree ended up turning up in one of our workshops uh, several years back, and then here he is again. I don't know how that happened, but he's right there, you know. Yeah. So and etc. So I. I haven't seen your face often, but I remember meeting you one time in the back of the co-op, late at night in the dark, <laughs> if you remember. Yeah, anyway, so here we are. And that's what the creative culture is designed to empower, if that makes sense, is to, you know, and Bruce, I remember going over to your place when you had the running the mill up just on the back deer uh, where Bud Jarvis's trailer, Bud Jarvis? Doer. Doer, Doer, sorry. Anyway, you know what I mean, so here we are. So I, I, this song, it's called Good Folk Rock.
And I'll just, this includes the people that aren't in the room right now, but who we know on island. And Speaking of which, if you are listening right now and you're not here, you're listening on 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, and this is the Folk You show, and we are having a special show today where we are live with a live audience under the CETA tent, and we have the whole gang of the Awakeneers and many other people from the community, and we're talking about the Creative Culture Guide uh, and all that went into the creation of that, but including the sort of long history and the importance of having these moments of glorification um, as we are also facing into the current state of the world. How is that for a micro encapsulation? <laughs> I want to uh, go back a little bit to this moment and the Creative Culture Guide. Um, and we and kind of speak out loud some of the different parts of that so i think we've got a little bit of background now like when you guys go deep into researching something you go all the way in um you you know you're moving to egypt you're exploring everything that ever happened you're not just you know doing a little uh you know google search and um pasting some facts uh up there so um so part of the part of what the creative culture guide is is the state of the world um, aspect, and uh, and that is something that actually you have been publishing and researching and trying to uh, create clear communication around for a long time. So can can you give us a little snapshot of where we are right now with state of the world and what we're what you're seeing? Um, in these, in, in the differences in what is this your third sort of state of the world publication? Well, in some sense, uh, starting with native lands in BC and the condition of the environment in southwestern BC, uh, then we looked at agriculture. We didn't publish on it, we almost did a poster on food. Um, and then we looked at computerization and the interdependencies in as of 1998 and how vulnerable the system was and basically what how much of that had already happened and just in time delivery etc so the whole uh, commodity supply chain etc were things that we were exposed to and how the gps satellites organized the hydro system and you name it, the whole thing is really quite an extraordinary uh, circumstance. And then, I mean, this is going a long way back, but let's say then we were starting to look at globalization uh, because we'd run across that when we started working on a project on salmon and discovered that there wasn't any way of dealing with the salmon issue in BC without looking at multinationals. And if you look at multinationals, then you find you have to look at money. And if you have to look at money, then you have to look at who's got it and how's it being used. Then you have to look at corporations and how do they work. And you know, it really went down the rabbit hole. And so globalization became something that we were gonna do a piece on. And then uh, the FTA, not the WTO protests in Seattle happened. And then the squeeze started happening on the funding organizations that were looking into globalization. And then uh, 
the FDA a protest happened in Eastern Canada and that was really kind of traumatic for the people that were dealing with that one and uh, the 9-11 happened and so while we were doing this research uh, there was tectonic shifts going on that really changed what we were looking at we decided globalization really wasn't something we wanted to be publishing on at that point uh, and so we moved on to other areas of endeavor same thing with GMOs we looked at that and we were going to be publishing on that and then decided that would be unwise uh, and just persisted with things that we thought we could publish and provide the service of education and easy access. Uh, the reason we did posters was because they're, they're one piece. There's a serendipity. Somebody can be looking at a chart and digest it and not have to look at the rest of it and or they can jump to the other side of it and see a completely different facet and they can put it up on the wall it can be colorful and interesting so they'll keep coming back to it they don't have to take on more than they can deal with at one time uh, and then we initially did them as double-sided so there'd be a hundred pages of text on the back sometimes we put the stuff that was contentious in six-point type so it was a little harder to get to uh, and so we had ways of getting things out that would be filtered you know, or metered in their inputs and that would remain. And so the native lands map ended up in the Anthropology Museum of uh, BC in uh, Vancouver. Uh, various things ended up in interesting places and uh, the connections from them kind of carried on afterwards. Uh, so I've not gotten lost in what I was saying. What was no, the question? Yeah, I, I, feel like I, I was trying to simplify the state of the world, and oh. you reminded me that even when we take a snapshot of it, it's actually complicated. Um, and maybe that is uh, one of the blessings about the internet, um, which you know it's easy to kind of get into it being uh, the dark side and its relationship to globalization, but one of the bright sides is definitely this idea that uh, we can allow information to be uh, more dimensional. And I love the, the B-side aspect of your publications um, that always exist. And right now, we're, you're unfolding the, the Earth map, but which one is that? So this was the 2004 version of this. And this was an effort to try to get all the key pieces on one piece of paper. So this has got over 100 charts on it. So if you take a look at this, you can get an idea of what the state of the world is and where the causative factors are. Um, and it's difficult. This isn't an easy thing to wrestle with. And the more you look at it, it doesn't get easier. And this was 17 years ago. And when Melanie was redoing it, uh, for the 2020 update, everything on this chart and what it pointed to has actually gotten worse. So there was a term that uh, seemed to be a little speculative, which doesn't seem to be speculative anymore, and it's called the sixth great extinction. Uh, as a species, but more particularly life as a whole, is in a colossal uh, condition right now and it can't really be overstated and since from my perspective I've been looking into this and a lot of people have been looking into it but my own personal perspective is uh, 
I have trouble putting it into words. Which is why we have music also. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's I'm a way of processing it and it's a way of getting it out in a way that's, uh, you can take it in small bite-sized pieces. But it's something that I've witnessed with uh, people who have been doing this for decades who are kind of over the top. It's really hard for them to address because if they're empathetic with not just their neighborhood but with the essence of it, this isn't about any one species and it's not even about humanity. And the more you look into it, the more serious it seems to be. And that's just what it is. Uh, so music becomes an important leavening and a reminder and a way of healing. And I want to, can I just read the different sections from sure. the, because I think this is sort of also getting into the complexity. And one of the things I just saw on the map, um, you know, on the poster, which, you know, you hold out and it's what? I mean, it's a 200 page textbook, but brightly colored and on one visual uh, field. And so you actually, I find I'm drawn to want to look closer instead of a 200 page textbook, which I think I would be more drawn to lose under my bed. Um, so I, I, I love that. And I love that then you've continued to take some of these same ideas and, and play them out uh, on the Creative Culture Guide website. Uh, and so when you go into that website, there's this sort of mandala type presentation. And these are the, the sections or the petals that sort of make up um, that you see when you first come on. And, and again, it's going kind of in a circle. So it was even like, where, which, which one's first? Um, but what I put first was spirituality and faith. And then it goes art and culture, decision-making and governance. I love, love that that's included because I want to believe that you know, we are learning something at least through all this. So I love that that's there. Economics and exchange, uh, which was one part of the map that really stood up just now when you unfolded it, was that money um, and it stood out. And so we can start thinking about you know, how um, through time, like we're really experiencing a, a great uh, change in, in how many people are wealthy and how small the population are, are owning our wealth. So this is also really interesting. Transportation and transport, education and learning, family and kinship, community, housing and structures, health and wellness, food, water, materials and manufacturing, energy. Um, and then there's even smaller kind of subsections or ways to even narrow down or go into those, but those are the, the big sections. Did I leave anything out that I should have mentioned there? That's an interesting sequence. Such <laughs> an interesting sequence. <laughs> wait, wait. So, since I have you close to a mic, Francis, can you take me through one of those sections that you particularly like, um, and let us know some of the things that we would find should we click on one of them and go further in? Well, I particularly like food. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> also because it's probably the, the best developed section of the site and it also seems to me like 
one of the biggest areas where we can quickly make a big difference in our effect on the earth and the creatures and ecosystems around us just by getting organic food from local farms. It's responsible for anywhere between 30 and 60% of the uh, people's emissions and impact on the earth has to do with food. And it's also one of the things that almost everywhere you can find local farms that have amazing tasting and amazingly healthy and amazingly way better for everything around you food than what you can buy at a supermarket. And I think there's about, there's several hundred natural food co-ops that are on the map in the Creative Culture Guide already, as well as probably that many or more organic farms, mostly in this area because that's where we know about, but there's also ones all across the continent, and info about how to go one better than getting food from a local organic farm, which is to grow it yourself in your yard, and how to make your own food forest, and have an ecosystem that is producing enough food for you and other people in a way that's in harmony with the soil and the water that's flowing through it and the other people that are sharing the land with you and that is respectful of the plants and animals that are providing the food to the extent possible. And we're trying to develop all the other sections to the same degree, but that seems like the first thing and what you put into your body also has a lot to do with how your body operates whether it's healthy and vibrant. And that has everything to do with food. And then if you were to go into the food section and realize that your favorite local farm wasn't there, but you wished it were, could we do anything about that? You most certainly could. Um, you can register for an account just by, there's several places up in the right-hand corner of the site. And then you can add anything that seems like it should be on there that isn't on there and put it on the map so that you and your neighbors can find it. Or anybody that's passing through the area and needs to eat something and doesn't have a garden in the back of their car or the back of their bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> and if you find that your favorite farm is there, but it has the wrong phone number, or it says that it's in um, an Eastern European country, which I did find s some things recently on the Creative Culture Guide for <laughs> from Cortez, but not showing up on the map in the correct place. You can also log in and correct such errors, and that would be wonderful if you feel like doing that. And <laughs> It's all kind of like, I don't use computer games, but there is, you kind of get a, you're, you get a score for doing all this stuff. So it's also fun. The good karma points. Good karma points, yes. Yeah, and if you make a really bummer submission, then your karma points go down. <laughs> yeah, so don't submit spam. <gasps> then you'll be reincarnated you'll be as a cockroach. <laughs> oh wait, no, not it's not quite that harsh. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> Only gentle uh, <laughs> corrections here. Okay, and then when I was on, um, I it, it seemed like is is it how smart is this site? Because I was on and I was like, oh look at the Green Mama, this amazing resource. And I was like, where is that located? And it said, very very nearby. <laughs> so how did it know where I was? Well, you probably uh, put in where I was. Looking. Where you were located, Cortez Island. Yeah. 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 So then, that's Such probably how, wow. because if you enter a location, then it will show all the resources that are nearby in kind of <laughs> expanding circles, um, and that was also part of why it took five years because <laughs> Google Maps is extremely slick and and works incredibly well and is very easy to integrate into a website. And I learned this, but it also is um, owned by a, a, a large profit-making corporation that makes their some of their money based on tracking people and profiling them. And I didn't really want the people that were on the site to have to participate in that. So we kind of started from scratch on using open source mapping software and not using any uh, APIs that would expose people's IP address and location information to people that were going to aggregate that and sell it or use it for projects that weren't in line with the Creative Culture Guide standards, which was not super easy to do. Well, thank you for doing that as someone who is super paranoid and doesn't use Google. Sorry, Google. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for not letting them track me. Um, you will it, notice that you cannot sign in with Facebook. Oh, oh, I, I might not notice, actually, but <laughs> well, other people might. <laughs> okay, and Francis, since you're kind of close to the mic right now, can, can you tell us what's on your shirt? This is the prize. In fact, there are two people on planet Earth that have t-shirts like this. One is... Oh no, there's three actually, because you will find on the Creative Culture Guide that there is a karma contest. So whoever racks up the most karma during a certain period will win one of these t-shirts. And the first contest was won by Isa. <laughs> Wait, no, is this an inside job? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, in fact. So this, if anyone is listening and doesn't happen to see what's on my shirt, it says, I heart Earth in emojis that I invented. Um, and then it says Creative Culture Guide underneath. But you don't have to win, and it also has a version of the Mondal on the back, the contest in order to get your very own Creative Culture Guide I heart Earth sticker. You just have to register for an account and tell me about it, and you can have one of those lovely... Um, eco ink printed stickers <laughs> made in BC. Whoa. Which can go anywhere. 
Oh, oh. And if you uh, put such it on as your water bottle, you'll then drink my mate, which is what happened this morning. <laughs> 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 I had one on there first. <laughs> Just what Cortez needs is more people with identical water bottles or shoes um, wandering around. Great. <laughs> so we're only going to let some of you have them. <laughs> Does, yeah, exactly. What, okay. What about? Can we can we go through another part of the website, or is it time for a musical interlude? Because it might be time for a musical interlude. We could do a musical overview of. Oh, oh! Get, guide us guide. through the creative culture yeah, guide. it's a very long Musically. song. Uh, so we hardly ever do it, but this would be the optimal uh, occasion for it. Plus, this might also be the time for another song that I saw that, I, that you have to play. Oh, which is? The one that, that it's the, what's this, the poop song. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that on the radio, so if I'm not, I'm sorry. I, I think you can. I was, I was going to bring that one up. Okay, Because good. food's the input, but... Dealing with the output is also very uh, important. Powerful. <laughs> Thanks. What's the song that's coming first? This first song is called Oh Mother, and it's an inventory of how to do things well. Uh, written by Francis. some seeds and grow some greens in your yard. Dig it all up and plant an orchard. Once you start, it's not all that hard. Then you want to put all we got to get back to the garden. Oh, mother, 
just eight leagues. And we all come from what our mom and our dad did. So if you've got kids, really care about it. But if you don't, then maybe do without it. Cause this whole wide world is getting crowded. Take delight in what's right all around you. There's a million things to make you frown, but it makes it worse when you're feeling down. And there's a whole lot of good still to be found.
That is like the perfect overview song. Speaking of that, I, I'm not making you do the other song, but you have to do it before we stop. So, wait, so I mean, like, but I'm not making you do it this second. Um, but I hope you will. Uh, okay, so right now, when you go to the site, there's not music on it. That's but true. I, I, well, and I'm not saying that has to happen, but say you wanted to be having a musical experience while you're listening to this, while you're watching the site, is that something that's... Yes, in fact. I don't know if you're just being helpful by asking that question, but you can get all of our music completely for free on the Awakeneers music app, which you can find for your phone, pretty much any kind of phone, and... It's got all the lyrics and it has a ton of songs which cannot even be found on Spotify, some of which are very ancient and slightly out of tune, but <laughs> all are most best and newest recordings. All completely in tune. All completely in tune. <laughs> <laughs> and then before you step too far away from that, Mike Francis, um, I want to know what's what the future of this of the creative culture guide site is like where where are you taking it what's the the aspirational journey that it's going on well i think that no one person could probably answer that question <laughs> um i what i'm most excited about is getting the like the perfect set of instructions for how to live rightly on the earth and then actually doing it. So, um, being a band traveling around in a gas-powered van and semi-homeless is a, is a hard place to start a food forest or like deal with a really top-notch gray water treatment system, <laughs> but... Which we had in the past. <laughs> But we left it behind because we were moving to Cortez. <laughs> but I'm excited about uh, actually doing what's on the Creative Culture Guide and, and being um, in a position to learn about it from all the different people that are going to be contributing their incredible wisdom and insight into how to do those things. And there's lots of things on the technical side that I'm excited about. but. The main thing is, is I think, everyone that's participating getting to have insight and reflection about the areas where they might not necessarily realize what areas there are for improvement in their lives and be able to grow into the fullest version of that on the ground. And also meet all the other cool people that are doing it. Ooh. It's not a social network, but I have, I'm very tempted to, like, include a few of those features. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, now we're getting really <laughs> exciting. And, uh, you know, I am excited for all that. And I'm excited to have a pair of those organic jeans that I found on the site that then come with a lifetime guarantee of free repairs. What? Francis is sporting them. Um, for a long time, actually, we didn't really advertise this on our website, but we've, trying, we've tried to have all our clothes, at least when we're performing music, be organic. And there's only, there are 
a limited number of places you can get good organic clothes. Most of them are on the Creative Culture Guide. Almost all of those are on the Creative Culture Guide. And I highly encourage it, especially Patagonia, I don't know if any if you already saw this, recently sort of donated their entire multi-billion dollar business to environmental protection and climate change mitigation. And all their cotton and a lot of their materials are either organic or recycled or both. They're very expensive, but they have a lifetime guarantee, which we've actually tested and works. They'll also repair, do amazing repairs for an amazingly small fee, things that I could never fix. And they do a really good job of the repairs, way better than I could sew or I think any of us. <laughs> this is the thing that I also loved about the jeans is that sort of idea is that you invest once and that like, and it, they're meant to last, which boy, what a, like, what a big thing in our, in our society, this idea that stuff is um, not meant to last, which I feel like is strangely a wonderful, intro to the song that I hope that you're geared up to play. The full circle, you know, cycle. <laughs> I might need a little intro in case anyone's totally unfamiliar with this idea. There was a fellow, well, this is ancient, first of all, but there was a fellow, uh, I guess a little over 30 years ago, that had published a book called Humanure. His name was Joe Jenkins, and he'd approached it uh, from a Western point of view, and I don't know what his history was, but he wanted to ensure that there wasn't pathogens, and he was sure there had to be a way of doing it because there's so much that goes in, and all the rest of it goes out and down the river and pollutes everything where it goes, and there isn't really anything satisfactory that the Western world does with it. But if you can close that loop and put it back into the soil, it's a complete transformation and you don't have sewage. And sewage is one of the biggest problems uh, that we haven't addressed properly. So Joe Jenkins wrote this book called Humanure, and it turns out there is a way of dealing with it, and it's fairly low tech, and anybody can do it. And it doesn't lead to pathogens. You just have to treat it the way you would do. Uh, and it's really simple, and this song has all the instructions in it. <laughs> And so it's that easy. You just listen to this song, and you can go online and find the videos by Joe Jenkins if you need to back it up, or you can ask Rose questions, because we've been doing this for 30 years whenever we thought we could get away with it. Um, and basically, if you're willing to have either an indoor mechanism with an outdoor composter, you're good to go. You just have to source uh, composting material like wood chips, straw, leaves, grass, uh, kitchen compost, and uh, what you end up with after a few years is because of the heat of the composting, which goes up to 160, 165, it kills pathogens. If you put it on the ground, the ground will grow into it and introduce other things. So the soil remediation goes around. If you talk to somebody like Maria, who's got contacts or you go to the creative culture guide you can add inoculants to it and soil remediation becomes something that you can do one square foot at a time with your own outputs uh it's really straightforward so here we go 
also wrote cool. this song at your place. Yeah, and you have a you have an amazing composter down there. That we're, <laughs> we're still claiming it because it's uh, called black gold. Once you're done with it, so. we'll share. <laughs> Let's talk about ethical pooping, human newer close the looping, the upward spiral of biodynamics. Soil building and organics. Waste not, want not, pure black gold. What a joy to behold. First you take a bucket, add a little sawdust. Then go ahead and make your deposit. When you're done, cover it on up. Until it doesn't smell, you're done till the bucket's filled. Everyone poops, let's be realistic. Poopophobia is quite ridiculous. Let's not plop in a toilet, then flush away. Lose that resource and pollute the waterways. Not to mention the coolness of the very thought that if you live happy, you can poop happy, make happy dirt, grow happy crops. What happens when you eat that happy food? Grown in happy ground, so good. Might that happiness just grow and grow? As the cycle goes around and around, ain't it coolio? We're talking about ethical pooping, human newer, close the loop. Go ahead, sing along if you feel like it. Upward spiral of biodynamics, soil building and organics. Waste not, want not, pure black gold. What a joy to behold. When the bucket's full, then you put a lid on, set it to the side and get another one. When you're out of empties, the next step begins. Now it's time to empty them into the compost bin. Don't worry, it's easy enough to make. For that Joe Jenkins is the man to thank. It's just four wooden pallets fastened together. As four sides open bottom to the dirt where bugs and microbes and mycelia live. So when it's ready for them, they can move on in. Now in that dirt below the bin, dig a shallow bowl. Cause what goes in out the sides, you don't want it to roll. Hey, all creatures on this great planet. We poop and we pee, it just goes with the package. We're talking about ethical pooping, human newer, close the lupin, the upward spiral of biodynamics, soil building and organics, waste not, want not, pure black gold, what a joy to behold. It's time for a cozy nest of carbon, like straw or grass or leaves or something. Good and thick, 18 inches should do. It works like a big sponge, so don't skip on it, you. Empty the buckets in the middle and wash them out. Keep all that water in the bin now, don't touch your mouth. <laughs> Almost done, just tuck it in nice and cozy. A thick blanket, a straw keeps the critters out so nosy. Now it's done, just leave it till the next time. Then pull back the straw to make the new nest sides. Rake a bowl in the center of the pile and empty the loot. Now you've got that upward spiral. Sit back and watch the temperature rise. 
Dig it up and put it on your fruit tree or plant your garden and eat and I'm happy. There's not that many ways we really give back to this ecosystem. We mostly try to reduce our impact. But by doing this one simple thing, we can help shift the balance back to giving. One more time, let's talk about ethical pooping, human doer, close the looping. Upward spiral of biodynamics, soil building and organics. Waste not, want not, pure black gold. What a joy to how a song that is both so instructional can be also so upbeat and enjoyable, but well done. <laughs> I actually think I did learn how to do it just from the song. <laughs> so we're at that time where we don't have a lot left and I want to hear a little bit about the future um, and both for the creative culture guide, which we got a little bit on and for all the rest of your endeavors, um, not to put you on the spot, but Melanie, if you felt like I'd love to know what you're researching right now and where, where you're hoping to spend some of your research time in this next little bit. Well, currently I'm working about five inches away from Francis, doing whatever he thinks I should be doing to help him in my own way on the Creative Culture Guide. Um, I'm hoping not to research bad news, because I think I've kind of overdosed on that. Um, I have a little project of love I've been working on that's a little children's book called Ins and Outs which may or may not ever make it to press, but it's certainly fun to do. And it's about inputs and outputs, but it's geared to kind of like five to eight-year-olds. Um, so yeah, I think getting the Creative Culture Guide out and we're hoping to do at least a paper version of it that's kind of a simplified picture of the mandala and some of the, the um, elements on it because as you were articulating earlier, there's something about paper and seeing the whole thing and not having to see it in its pieces. Um, so that's actually what's sort of immediately in the in the future, like for next week. Yeah, well, very immediately <laughs> in the future. Uh, you want to take a crack at that? What's next question? What's next? Um, we're going to persist with this project, and so the Creative Culture Guide will finish up. Know, tie the bow on it 
and a paper version of it of some kind and the distribution of the music as widely as possible and then we have another project that we're there's a lot more music that's come along in in the recent couple of years um, that's a little bit different kind of grown out of the tempering of that time period and so our, we've got a CD that's going to be released of music that we recorded uh, during that time period and then we've got new songs that we haven't recorded yet uh, and the, the sort of working title for that CD right now is called Lightheart and it's basically the circumstance is such that we somehow have to be able to raise up, rise up, and go beyond the challenge that it represents. And that's a really serious challenge. And so that's something that we're seem to be moving into catalyzing or facilitating or assisting with in some way. And music is a really direct way of doing that. <clears throat> so it's a combination of bringing into the room what the challenge is and then uh, processing that in real time. And that seems to be something that music and face-to-face -face gatherings like this is actually uh, effective at. So we're probably going to be doing more of that. And I'm going to remind people that they can keep track of and participate in and possibly even earn a sticker <laughs> and other karma points and uh, the Creative Culture Guide by going to creativecultureguide.org uh, and uh, and also you're going to... reminded, yeah, we're doing a concert on October 9th which is a fundraiser for the SCCDA over in Manson Hall and that new music is what we're going to be presenting at that time. So if you're on Cortez, you can uh, experience the Wakeneers and probably be reminded about the Creative Culture Guide uh, <laughs> at on October 9th yeah, at yeah. the okay. Manson's Hall. At what time? Doors open at 6.30. Doors open at 6.30. But what if you... It's a contra dance as well. Oh, So you come for the concert, stay for the dance. So you come for the concert, stay for the dance. Um, one day I'll tell you the story about how I broke my leg contra dancing, but that's for another time. Exactly. Go home in an ambulance. Uh, and but say we don't live on Cortez and we want to keep track of what's happening with the Awakeners, experience your music, perhaps go on tour uh, and listen to you in real time, not on Cortez. What can we do? There are so many things. At this very moment, you could, in fact, listen to the Awakeners on the Cortez Radio website. But that's a relatively infrequent uh, occurrence. But where you can always listen to the Awakeners is at awakeners.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter, where we give away all our music. Some people are somewhat annoyed about that, but <laughs> I'm not. Um, we also have, if you feel like paying money for music, some super fancy engraved walnut, I believe. Awakeners Music Thumb Drives. It has all our albums on them, on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about my grammar. I know that I'm an editor of the Creative Culture Guide and I should be able to speak, but I'm dyslexic. And I'm looking at our logo backwards. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, yes, it may not be convincing, but I'm also the one that made the Awakeneers music app where you can listen to all our music for free, which I already talked about. But you can also listen to it all for free on our website, and you can listen to it, some of it, for free on Spotify if you already pay Spotify, or pretty much anywhere else that you pay for music, you can find. And we also have CDs, if you can believe that. If, you, if you've heard of that technology. <laughs> Yay. Uh, and so would you... Um, we, we've got, I, I want to say uh, some things, which is thank you so much for all of our listeners live and on the radio. You are listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM or at CortezRadio.ca. And I also want to say a special thanks that right now we are under the CETA Community Village Tent. It's really, really amazing uh, because it's sort of cold and drippy and rainy. And, uh, and then in the summer when we did some events, it was hot and blaring and sunny. And having this space has really made a big difference to me, at least, because I get to do these live shows and feel like people are listening. Ah. Uh, and today also marks another really exciting project, which is the opening of something called the pod also on this space and the pod means that we now have on cortez free internet uh, that's community accessible under a uh, an awning so that you can stay dry use uh, internet and it also means that there is for creative culture workers on Cortez, um, a usable office space. So uh, big thanks to the many, many partners who made that happen, including Desta, who was the force behind getting all of that uh, to fruition. And you can learn more about how you can use the pod at ccha.ca, uh, I think. Ugh, I might have gotten that messed up, but <laughs> um, something like that. Um, Okay, so would you play us out? Sure. I'm just trying to pick from like three or four songs. It'd be nice to finish up with. Or 30 or 40, which yeah. I saw on the list earlier. So. Uh, we are going to do this concert coming up, so there'll be a lot more things that we haven't played in public hardly at all on that particular event. And uh, so I, because we've been talking about the Creative Culture Guide and life on Earth and things like that, it seems like that would be... Uh, something to finish up with and uh, there's this great song called No Complaints um, which I'd like to finish with but I'm not sure if that's the best idea um, it's very lighthearted and easy to go with are you afraid I'm going to complain about that one? Uh, <laughs> just well, wondering you, and your choice is also Stand Up for Life which is a very rousing song about uh, doing that kind of stuff another song that's a little more I Won't Give Up basically no matter what and there's one called Raise Up Your Kindness. Raise Up Our Kindness. So it's a bit of a hard call. It's a hard call. What do you think? I, no complaints. No complaints. Okay, that wins. Here we go. If you'd like a t-shirt or a bandana with no complaints on it, you can talk to Meg. I think she maybe is wearing one, I'm not sure. <laughs> and if you're really nice, she might give it to you. <laughs> It'll be merch on the 9th. 
this as a chorus, which we'll do first, just so you can be familiar with it, because it's one of the things that we like to finish off a concert with, with everybody singing along with us, which has been a real hoop where that happened. So the chorus goes, I got no complaints, no I ain't got complaints, cause life's too short and way too long to spend it all dwelling on what's gone wrong. One more time. I got no complaints, no I ain't got complaints, cause life's too short and way too long. Spend it all dwelling on what's gone wrong. I hope if you're listening to the radio in a store that you're singing loudly. <laughs> Especially if it's the co-op. <laughs> I don't have that many friends, but the friends I have are good friends. And I don't have all that many things, but the things I have are mostly good things. And I got no complaints. No, I ain't got complaints. Cause life's too short and way too long to spend it all dwelling on what's gone wrong. I'm not a drunken fool or a cross-eyed saint. I just really ain't is great even on the days when it seems like maybe it ain't and I got no complaints no I ain't got complaints cause life's too short and way too long to spend it all dwelling on what's gone There's a lot of things I just don't understand And my life hasn't gone how I planned But I have hope for the future and a roof for tonight And even in the dark I'm heading for the light And I got no
short and way too long to spend it all dwelling on what's gone wrong. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, 89.5 FM CKTZ. Also online at CortezCommunityRadio.ca. Get gone from a dirty town. Get gone from a dirty town. Get gone from a dirty town. 